All right. Well, this is fun. This is a first for us, sitting here together and talking through a topic together. I mean, we do that at home and stuff, but not <laughs> publicly like this. And it's kind of dangerous. It's always, those of you who have ever preached or shared a message, it's, I don't know if you've experienced this, but no matter what I'm preaching on, say I'm going to talk about loving others th- on a Sunday, that week I feel the most unloving, and it's like whatever I'm supposed to talk about, I feel the least qualified for. So it's dangerous talking about what we're talking about today, which is conflict, together. And we had a good week, but I think a couple of weeks leading up to this, we certainly walked through a few things where we were living this firsthand. So we're going to, but this, I think this message is so important. Really, I, I was just thinking about that this morning, that if you can get what, some of the truths and principles and the lifestyle that God's word lays out for us and how we navigate conflict, this day could change your life forever. Like these, these truths, if you get them and understand them and apply them are so impactful and important, and our world and our lives need need this so much. Um, and where it's fun, it's funny. You know, we were going to talk more about this, but everyone we feel differently about conflict, and like our families of origin have something to do with that. And Reagan and I, our the way our families handle conflict is very very different. I remember when we first were dating, and I went to visit Reagan's went to like a Thanksgiving week or something to her, her family's house or her grandparents, her grandmother's house. And so I was sp- first time I was spending two or three days with her family, I kind of drove me crazy because they didn't talk about anything important. All they did was talk about what we're going to eat at the next meal. And then we'd have, prepare that meal and eat it, and then we'd spend the next three or four hours talking about what are we going to do for the next meal. And so there's sort of this, like, avoidance of conflict thing going on in her family, whereas my family and my parents unexpectedly decided to visit us this morning, so you can verify this with them. <laughs> yeah, there they are. But debate is sort of like an Olympic sport in our family. It's what we do for fun. We, when our family gets together, within 10 minutes, if we got together today, within 10 minutes, there would be a discussion about the Mueller report about Trump, and hey, how, what do you think about that? And we'd be discussing the different sorts of Christianity that, that our different family members are part of. And it's just one of our kids' best memories, most vivid memories, is seeing me and my brother, their Uncle Paul, sitting on the beach at Lake Michigan, having this like, hour-long debate about whether the Old Testament law has application today. <laughs> and it got very intense and heated. Our kids are just kind of like ping-pong, like going back, like, wow, this is crazy. So... But there's different ways we can approach conflict, and we all have places to learn and grow. And so actually, Reagan's just going to, I'm going to kind of introduce things, lay out a little bit of what the Bible says. She's going to, basically today, I'm going to be talking about why conflict can be really good, if we handle it well. And then Reagan's going to talk about how it's hard, and how to walk through it well. Yeah, the emotion of it all. And then I'm going to try to help um, wrap it up with with some of what Jesus teaches on that. But we're going to pray as we start. Just ask God to help us. Okay. Jesus, yes, help us. God, I thank you that your ways are better than our ways, and it's hard to do your ways, but they bring life, and they bring connection, and they bring um, peace. And help us, Jesus, help us receive what you want this morning. Amen. Amen. All right. I almost leaned back too far there. That would have been good. All right, well, um, conflict is interesting. Actually, before I start, we're going to watch a little clip here from that, cu- that cultural classic, The Office, from the conflict resolution episode. 
So it's just a minute clip, but this kind of lays it out. And this episode, for those of you who've seen it, basically Michael Scott is trying to help resolve conflict in the office. And so he brings up every issue with every employee possible. But here he's talking to, talking to a couple people, and we'll go ahead and play that. All right, we're going to stop there. I think they had to enjoy acting in this episode, just all the, all the expressions of unresolved conflict going on right there. But that's really what, what Michael Scott just laid out. That's what we're after is win, win, win. All right? Not just lose-lose or win-lose, but conflict can be an incredible opportunity for us to come into this win-win-win experience where God brings us into something more. So the first, first thing what we have to realize is that in life, you can't avoid conflict. Conflict is unavoidable, right? As much as we try, it's going to happen. And a lot of this is because of sin and the results of, of the fall. Ever since sin entered the world, there's been incredible conflict and tension and disagreement between people. But I think it's insightful to realize that even before sin, there was conflict in the world. Even before Adam and Eve sinned, there was a snake in the garden. And there wasn't conflict between Adam and Eve or between Adam and Eve and God. That was a conflict-free relationship, which is what God desired it to be. But there was an enemy that God had strategically placed in the earth. And I think that's important to realize that we, there's something that, that was a potential, that was an unavoidable conflict. And God set it up that way because for us to live as men and women the way he called us to live, we have to face conflict. And we could not live the sort of life he made us without, without that kind of conflict. And we could, we could talk about that more, but it's interesting even in Genesis 1.28, which was known as the creation mandate or the, the dominion mandate. This was before sin. Um, we're told, God told, told them, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth, and subdue it. Or some translations say, have dominion over it. And think about that. that there's, an er- there's an element of they had the garden, but they were to expand the garden into the rest of the world. And the rest of the world was untamed. It was wild. It, the, it was, the status quo there was not the kind of status quo that God wanted it to be. And it was their job to engage in that wild world and bring the kingdom, bring the kind of world God wanted it to be. And there wasn't necessarily the kind of conflict that we have because of sin, but there was the sort of disagreement and dis, disunity between the way things were and the way things God wanted them to be that uh, God wanted them to use their creativity and their power to bring it there. So after sin, there's, there's been much more prom- uh, conflict all throughout history. But in serving God, there always are enemies that we have to overcome. And those of us that are reading through the, the, the Bible reading plan that we're doing, this week we read in Numbers, and I just this was a really interesting passage that applied to this. Numbers chapter 33, verse 50. This is talking about uh, God giving his commands to the people of Israel. And he told them, on the plains of Moab, by the Jordan, across from the Jordan, the Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, when you cross the Jordan into Canaan, drive out all the inhabitants of the land before you. Destroy all their carved images and their cast idols and demolish all their high places. Take possession of the land and settle in it, for I have given you the land to possess. So there's pretty serious amount of conflict right there, right? God's saying, hey, this is the promised land. This is what I want for you to take. But there are enemies in the land. There are idols in the land. And you can't just have this sort of truce with them. 
there has to be a victory over, over those enemies. In verse 55, he says this. He says, but if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land, those you allow to remain will become barbs in your eyes and thorns in your sides. They will give you trouble in the land where you will live. Barbs in your eyes and thorns in your sides. That's not very good. And basically, the same way that the enemies of the Israelites were going to be barbs in their eyes and thorns in their sides, when we have unresolved conflict, it has that effect on us. When we have unresolved issues with other people, it becomes a thorn in our slide and a barb in our eye. That's, it's something that we cannot, it affects us in a really serious way, and it keeps us from living life the way we were meant to. And we have to realize that we can't control the other person in a conflict. The Bible's in, in Romans 12, 18, it says, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And so we can't control the other person, but we can have responsible, re- responsibility for what's going on in us. And we can come to a place in our conflict where we are at peace no matter what's going on in the situation around us. And in, in the church, in Christian relationships, there's the possibility for the win-win-win, where we're, we're coming into really a great place of those things being resolved and coming to a better place. But I think, you know, a lot of times, we, it's kind of like we have that thorn in our side from an unresolved conflict, and it's been there so long that we've forgotten how it's, we've kind of gotten numb to it, or we've forgotten what life is like without it. We've gotten so used to living with unresolved conflict and the way it affects us that we think it's normal. And I believe this morning that God is wanting us to see that, no, that's not the way to live. We are affected by every unresolved conflict in our own heart. And God has a better way for us to not, to not come under that. Um, you know, Jesus, it's, it's interesting that he over and over talked about how we should expect conflict. Conflict, we, we often think, hey, if we follow Jesus, it's a conflict-free life, right? Like, it's, everything's wonderful. But he, he told his followers over and over again, hey, it's going to be tough. You're going to be persecuted. There's going to be conflict. And in, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, this is the, the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. If you have to make peace... That's because there wasn't peace in the first place. And so peacemakers are not those who avoid conflict, but those who go into a place of conflict and help bring peace on the other side. He goes on and says, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now that's, that's not conflict-free living. You can't, we can't avoid conflict. Um, and I think it's important because a lot of times we have an idea that peace is the absence of conflict, right? The whole, I'm a lover, not a fighter kind of idea. Just like, hey, I want to avoid this. But really, the biblical idea of peace is not avoiding conflict. But literally, it's this, this picture here of, it's the idea of your foot being firmly planted on your enemy's neck. Right? That's when you have peace, is when the enemies of peace are defeated. And so t- to find peace, you have to deal with whatever those enemies are. Now, it's essential to realize your enemy is not that person, okay? As much as it seems like I'm Reagan's enemy most of the time, Reagan, you need to know that I'm not your true enemy. But, you know, maybe there are things that I'm doing, there are attitudes, there are spiritual forces that I'm listening to, 
There are the forces, and that's what Ephesians 6 says, that we, our, rest, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against powers of evil. And there are, the, the devil and evil comes into our relationships so much and tries to bring disunity and division. And it's essential that we know that, hey, this person is not the enemy, but there is evil in the world. And the goal is to, to skillfully and graciously deal with those issues to come to a better solution. So you can't avoid conflict, and you can't grow without conflict also. Conflict has an amazing opportunity to help us grow. Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen says, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. We all want to grow, right? That's, that's one of our core values here. Growing people change. But to change, we have to have change is not necessarily fun. And the, there's nothing like other people in our life who are different than us and see things differently to help us see the areas in our life where God wants to change us. And the question is, are we going to be willing to be a, a piece of iron or a, a blade that's willing to get close to another person and have some friction, loving friction, hopefully, but in that conflict, it sharpens us and has the potential to make us who God wants us to be. And sometimes we're, we're so afraid of conflict that we're like a butter knife, that all we can do is we're maybe good for butter. You know, we can maybe go through that. But we can't cut anything, really, because our fear of conflict has kept us from becoming sharpened and becoming the person God wants us to be and kind of makes us, makes us useless. So, you know, and then about to toss it to Reagan. It's going to get a lot better here in a minute. But the other thing is the conflict it's, and confrontation is the other part of this. Conflict kind of implies it just happened. You don't usually plan conflicts, but it sort of comes up. But there's an aspect of, confront, of loving confrontation that we are all called to be disciples and to make disciples. And a disciple is someone who is learning from God's word. And God's word is coming to our life and showing us where we're living differently from how God wants us to live. And so disciples are those who embrace the confrontation of God. What do you say? Will you confront me so that I can change and grow? And so to be a disciple, we have to embrace confrontation. And to, we're called to be disciples and to make disciples. To make disciples, we also have to be able to lovingly confront. We have to help people see the areas in their life that are different from what God's word says and lovingly help them see that. And our ability to help people grow as disciples is, is completely linked to our ability to lovingly confront people and help them to grow. And so as you read the Bible, they're talking about parenting, about disciple-making, about ministry. There are all these words like reprove, rebuke, admonish, come to a place of repentance. And I'm like, wow, that doesn't sound very nice. But you have to, you have to repent to grow. We have to learn how to receive reproof and admonishment and rebukes because those things can help us to grow like, like nothing else. And so you can't avoid conflict. Um, you can't grow without conflict. And the way to grow is, this is what Reagan's going to hit on. First, we've got to get in a good place personally. And that's easier said than done sometimes. But before we can engage in health, healthy conflict with others, we've got to get in a good place ourselves personally. And then we can speak the truth in love to other people. Ephesians 4.15 says, 
Instead, speaking the truth in love will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. All right. Baby, why don't you go ahead and walk okay. us through this. She's going to talk especially about how to get in a good place personally, and both for yourself and also to engage in confrontation or resolving conflict with other people. So I hate conflict, even just like talking about it, I get all sweaty and nervous and want to leave the room. Like I'm not even in conflict with somebody, but just hearing that word, (laughs) fetal position. When we first got married, we would like get in a conflict and John would be like, where are you going? I'm like, what do you mean? Where am I going? I'm in the other room. He's like, yeah, you got up and walked to the other room. I'm like, what? Like, I don't even remember doing that. I physically got up and walked to the other room to avoid (laughs) conflict. (laughs) So, like, I understand the inner turmoil. Probably a lot of you are braver than I am. So this is, like, I'll just be vulnerable for everybody who's, like, a wimp out there. But I want to just emphasize that we all desire to belong, right? We all have a need for belonging. Like, we all want our group, you know? And we... It's terrifying, but we want people around us who know us uh, to be known, you know, and to be loved and accepted. And, you know, before I start this, I just want to emphasize that, that this is like we all long for this, but gosh, it's really hard. You know, it's hard to deal with conflict. It's hard to resolve stuff. But what it produces that, like, the group of belonging is so valuable, and we want our church to be a people who love each other, where people feel like they belong, and I'm known, and I'm okay, and I'm loved. So that's all, like, the nice stuff. Let's go to the nitty-gritty. So when there's conflict, there's pain, right? There's injury. It hurts. I hate it. And what we tend to do is make that conflict about the whole of me, right? Like, somehow now, like, I'm making this one conflict about me, this one issue about me, all of me. The whole of me. So I, so we make it all about me, which ends up a lot of times we think we're unlovable, right? And like all our fears are confirmed. I knew I was unlovable. I knew it. Then shame comes. And then a lot of times when there's conflict, we want to, out of our fear, like intimidate somebody you know, and, like, drive the conversation away from us out of fear. So I'm just going to intimidate you and bully you, and so you can't touch me. That's kind of how we respond when there are issues that come up about us. Um, A lot of times we run away. Like I said, I avoid conflict at all costs. So if there's, like, even a hint of it in the room, I'm, like, gone. Like Jonathan mentioned about his parents, and, like, whenever the family starts talking about stuff, I become, like, the cleaner-upper. Like, let's clean the dishes. (laughs) You can find me in the kitchen cleaning up. (laughs) Um, To avoid conflict, we numb ourselves, right? We just shut down. I'm going to watch Netflix for a couple of days, and then I'll kind of deal with it. Or I'm going to play video games for the rest of my life to avoid, like, conflict from when I was five. Um, Another way... Virtual conflict, but no actual conflict. (laughs) Another way we react um, is we like to punish those around us, manipulate them. Um, One example is, like, I won't talk to you ever again. Like, 
how many teenagers do that to their parents? <laughs> how dare you treat me that way? I will never talk to you. I will punish you. <laughs> so silly, but we do it. And then um, when I'm told I have issues, I tend to argue. I have to be right. And so I'm going to argue under the table until you capitulate, and I'm right. And my daughter is really good at this. <laughs> so um, conflict also arises when I have to talk to somebody. Like when it's time to work something out with somebody and I have to go talk to you, these are the things I tend to do, and you do too. We pretend the issue doesn't exist, right? Like I don't see it. I don't want to acknowledge it. It doesn't exist. Um, or we intimidate that person into submission. You know, you know what I mean. I had a roommate one time who, she, she kind of did it in her little intimidating way, telling me how to wash the dishes correctly. And I'm like, wait, I think I was just like submitted into doing it her way. But like, there are other ways, but I think that's just what happened. <laughs> I feel a little weird right now. Um, where am I? Okay, so d different we kind of think is wrong. You know, if somebody does it differently than us, then you're wrong. You're absolutely wrong. I'm right. Um, and then when it's time to work stuff out with somebody, a lot of times we withhold our internal conversation. How many of you have been like, oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. <laughs> you know, I'm really not, but I'm going to withhold what really is going inside me. We don't really tell the whole truth. So, okay, those are really unhealthy ways of how we deal with conflict. So let's talk about healthy ways to deal with it. So again, pain happens. Ouch, I'm hurt. This is painful. Conflict happens. But instead of making it about all of me, like all of me is a total failure because I like wrong somebody. We want to focus on just that part of me that we're talking about, like how I do the dishes or how I don't clean up. Okay, it's not about me and my worth. So a healthy way to respond is um, how pain can transform us, how we can be changed. And I know this is hard. Like, it's good, but it's hard. We have to sit in pain sometimes. And that seems kind of counterintuitive, but I don't know about you. I just want to ignore it. I don't want to sit in it. I don't want to acknowledge it. I'm not in pain. No, 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 no. But a lot of times we have to kind of just sit in it and acknowledge it and, okay, I am in pain. Okay, I do feel a little rejected. I do feel abandoned. You have to kind of name it and know, like, what you're dealing with. Um, you have to breathe and get some space and kind of get in a better place to deal with it because if you, like, kind of quickly respond, it doesn't help. Um, and while you're like getting in a better place and getting space, remember your worth and your value. Okay, Jesus says I'm worthy. I'm whole. I'm righteous. I, um, I'm accepted. And I kind of have to like repeat that because everything in me wants to say like you're a failure. You stink. No, okay, Jesus says I'm his daughter. I'm worthy. I'm righteous. I'm whole. Okay, I can... I can do this because it's not about me. It's about something else, a little part of me. Um, so in how to make it not about me, you kind of have to like separate yourself from the issue. Okay, so what view of myself am I defending? Like it, when I go and talk to somebody about an issue, 
I hate it because the view of myself that I'm defending is I want to be like the good cop. You know, <laughs> I don't want to be the bad cop. I want to be the good cop. I want to be like the nice one. I don't want people to like hate me. And then, so what am I wanting to get out of that view of myself that I'm defending? Like I want to protect myself from like risk and hurt. I don't want, like what if I talk to somebody and they totally like slam me down and like I don't want to do that. I want to be the good cop. I want us to be friends. So a lot of times it's power and protection that we're trying to, you know, maintain for ourselves. So you kind of have to work through these things. Like, what am I doing? What is, what is my heart, like, trying to defend? What am I wanting to get out of this view of myself? I want people to like me. Um, and then not making it about me involves, okay, so what is the truth that God is wanting to replace this lie? So, like, the good cop lie, okay, God alone is good, not me, right? Like, I suddenly have become God, where I want to be this. I want, you know, to have, you know, accolades. But only God is good. And if I really love this person, then I will take the risk to love. And I will, like, enter in it with somebody and let God have the glory, and he's the one who's, you know, the good one. Um, Because love involves risk. So, how else can we be transformed um, with conflict is to listen and discover what is being said. I don't know it all. I'm going to take a place of humility and really discover, well, maybe this person has a different view. I want to discover it. Um, Share my inner conversation. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to, like, share who I am, which involves vulnerability. And that's a very difficult thing to do. Like, this morning, I... I really wanted to bark at the kids. I'm like, rah, 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 get ready, come on, get off the ground, get your blanket off of you, like, get ready. And I did it for a little bit, and then I was like, well, kids, listen, I'm really scared. I'm really nervous. I'm speaking this morning. And, but out of that fear and nervousness, I was barking at them, you know, like intimidating them into submission. Get ready now. But once I was vulnerable and exposed, like, actually, I'm afraid, guys. Like, they came and hugged me. And that was, like, the sweetest thing, like, empathy and just kindness. And, like, we all want that. But it's hard to get there if we're not vulnerable. And then um, repent. Gosh. E, repent. Okay, I'm sorry. What I did was wrong. I'm sorry for hurting you. Not like, I'm sorry your feelings got hurt. Like, that is not an apology. That is not repenting. That's just, like, you poor thing. (laughs) Um, like we're repenting all the time please forgive me I forgive you like that said over mostly me (laughs) because I do most of the bad stuff (laughs) in our relationship and he looks at me like do you forgive me I'm like "Uh, uh, yes I do (laughs) my will and then my emotions will follow later I do love you (laughs) and then all of this is so we can walk together. How can we move forward? And again, it's that atmosphere of belonging. We're, we're, mi- we're doing this together. We want to form a group because Americans, we're so good at being individual. And like, well, you hurt me, so forget you. I'm going to live my own life. And then we're all left, like all these lonely, separated people with no community to feel safe. In, and that's what we want. We want to feel safe. So I'll just give you a good example. 
I'll just expose myself even more, and I'll walk you through how this has happened in the past couple of weeks, and we'll go through these stages real quick. So our son, Cade, has amazing paintings that we want to hang in our basement wall. Jonathan keeps asking me, when do you want to hang up, or do you want to hang up the paintings tonight? No, I don't. I'm doing something. I'm really busy right now. Hey, do you, next day, do you want to, like, hang up the paintings tomorrow or tonight or whatever? No, no, I don't. I'm busy. I'm doing something else. Okay, I'm totally avoiding this potential area of conflict, which is really silly, I know. But, so we have to go through these steps. What view am I defending? I'm avoiding a potential conflict with Jonathan about hanging up the paintings in my basement. So the view that I'm defending is my artistic decisions are better. <laughs> Getting real. <laughs> so what am I wanting from this view? I want artistic control of our house. And I don't want to deal with somebody I else. I don't know why you'd think there <laughs> could potentially be a conflict <laughs> discussion. I know. There probably isn't, but I just, like, ugh. No, because there have been a few over yeah, the years. Yeah, there That's have what been thinking. a few over the years. So I don't want to deal with somebody else's opinion, right? I want my own opinion. And actually, I don't want to assert myself. I don't want to express what I'm feeling. I'm more of a gut person, and... I don't want to like talk and explain the five reasons why I think that one painting should be on that wall, <laughs> which Jonathan wants to prove. Like, and I just like I don't have the words. I don't have them anymore. But then honestly, it goes to this um, this feeling that I never am good with words. Like I, I I'm not good with words. Like I I see an image of the word I want to use. I'm like. I, what's that word? Like, I see it, and I can't, like, grab it. So I have this deep insecurity of words and, like, not being able to speak it and explain myself. And actually, it's from this nightmare. So we're getting real. When I was little, I had this reoccurring nightmare, seriously, like three, five times, where I looked out my bedroom window, and there was this demonic male, this man, whose intentions are very evil, and I could just feel, like, evil coming out of him. And I opened up my mouth to scream, and nothing came out. And I, like, had no voice. I had no voice, and I was powerless. I felt absolutely powerless. So as a kid, I kind of had this lie deposited in my heart. You're, you're, you have no voice, and you're powerless. Oh, yeah, you're right. I'm powerless. So I believe this lie. That's affecting whether I'm going to put up the paintings in our house with my husband. I mean, this is serious. So I don't want to sit there. I mean, I want to acknowledge it, but then, okay, so what's the truth that God wants to replace? Or what's the lie God wants to replace with his truth? I'm, I, I'm powerless. So in 2 Timothy, he says, God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. Okay, God has given me a spirit of power. I'm not powerless. God has given me his spirit. I am powerful. I'm a powerful person. I can assert my views. I can listen. It's not about me. God has given me a spirit of power. See how that, like, changes? And if you go to, like, that thing that's causing, like, this thing in you to 
like avoid conflict or intimidate or bully or blah, blah, blah. A lot of times it's, okay, so what's this lie? So God has given me a spirit of power. I can handle this. I can talk. I can assert. We can work it out. You still need to do it. (laughs) Those paintings are still not hung up in the basement, but we will this week, right? I'm ready when you are. All right. (laughs) Good. Wow. There's see how much wisdom I get to live with every day. It's amazing. It's kind of a high standard though to live up to as well. Um, I just want to take a minute because there's so much put out there, and really this is so real and practical. We think about our lives and the people that we may have conflicts with. And does anyone have a question? And we don't. It's okay if there aren't any, but. Thought that would be good. Any questions about conflict, confrontation? Yeah, Kim. Yeah. Yeah. Great question. If ever, just to, to make sure everybody heard it, if you do what you can do to resolve the conflict, but the other person doesn't respond, what do you do next? And that is a very likely scenario that I think any of us who are practicing this will have multiple relationships in that place. And that's okay. I mean, it's not okay. It's not God's best because God wants the best for that person and for the relationship. But you can have peace knowing I have put myself out there and extended love and trusted God in this situation and, and given my all. And before God, I have a clean conscience, and I'm at peace. And I'm going to keep, you can keep praying for that person, keep loving that person, but know that your, your emotional well-being, well-being is not dependent upon their response. It's that's, that God is the one who provides that for you. And then out of that, you can love the other person. So over time, you, know, you will see... God's melting grace affects relationships around you. Um, but the timetable, the when, that's, we don't know. And the, the, I'm not saying that's, that's going to happen to everyone around you, but, but you can be in a good place on your side and bring love. Does that, does that make sense? Okay, good. Any follow-up question or any other questions? Yeah. Well, I think that will happen. I mean, it happens. <laughs> this is, I think like practicing certain things, you'll grow and it'll, you'll kind of like be able to capture your thought process in the middle of it and stop, you know, and maybe tell the person I need, um, can we meet back in 10 minutes? Or like if the scheduling is wrong, you know, you need more time. Um, like tomorrow, for an hour, I like to sit down and talk about it and give yourself time to breathe and space so you're not, if you know, like I'm in this bad place where I'm going to say stuff that is hurtful, if you could tell that person as calmly as you can, I know, like it's hard, our emotions are just surging and strong, um, 
but I think they probably, I mean, who knows? Maybe they'll accept it, maybe they won't, but I think if you communicate it, you know, if you're aware, if you're like kind of more self-aware of what's going on and communicating it, then they'll agree and you can come back later. And then I think the more you practice it and mm-hmm. it gets better, but it is, um, it, it is a transforming thing and you have to be transformed and it's not overnight, you know, instantaneous, like you're different. Yeah, I think the more you practice, okay, if you are acting out of your flesh, out of your own self-interest and not love, but you're committed to repenting and telling the person, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? Afterwards, the more times you do that, the greater uh, incentive it is during the conversation to not go there as well. But, but... but it's okay. I mean, we're, we're human, and this is a process. It's better to engage and go too far and then work it out than to just to give up. Um, but I know for me, when I'm in that place, I can feel it when it's my flesh, when it's my selfish will. Even though my mind is telling me all these reasons are true and right, and I'm winning the argument in my own mind, there's that inner sense of, you know, this feels off. And so I'm... I'm I'm a work in progress. I'm not always doing this. But on my better days, I just say, okay, I'm not in a good place. I'm just going to, posting the space, I'm just going to say, okay, I'm going to listen to you right now and think about it and come back later when I'm in a place where I am loving and not just trying to win. So that's, that's something that's been helpful for me. Wow, hands all over the room. Yeah, Mitchell. I think for me it's um, knowing I'm valued, I'm whole, I'm accepted, I'm worthy. Like I really have to repeat those things in my mind. And um, I'm going to engage, I'm going to engage. So a lot of it's self-talk and speaking truth over myself. And, I mean, seriously, like on I-70, I'm like, I'd rather just jump out of the car. (laughs) You know, that seems like a good solution than sitting here in the car. You know, I'm like, well, I can't go, I can't do that. So I guess I have to, like, affirm myself that God loves me (laughs) and engage. So Mm -hmm. that that's really has been, like, what I have to do. And uh, all the time, I mean, pretty pathetic. It's interesting. I feel those same feelings, but it's easier for me to receive input or confrontation. You all may not believe this, but it's harder to know I need to talk to that person about this issue. That brings up more insecurities for me than them talking to me about my issue. (coughs) And so the same sort of self-talk, going to God, okay, God, you're for me, you're with me. You love this person. I love this person. That's why I'm doing this. I'm exercising my faith for them, but all my insecurities are coming to the surface in the having to go to somebody else to bring up an issue, even more so than than bringing up an issue to me. And for me, it's probably more, like, shameful when I get input. It's it's hard for me to give input to somebody, but I think just internally I have more junk going on when somebody says something about me. 
All right. Maybe one or two more if there are any more questions. Aja? Is that a hand? Yeah, that does, and that, yeah, I think, um, you know, what you're saying, asking God, I think that we need to do that, like, when we see this pattern go in our life all the time, there's, like, something more, you know, than just this pattern, it goes to this root of something that, a belief system, some sort of trauma or something, and so, yeah, Asia mentioned listening prayer. So, um, what you can ask God, just ask Him, which seems crazy that we forget to do that. But if you ask Him, God, where did this powerless com powerlessness come from? And He can show you a memory or like something that was spoken to you, and you realize, oh yeah, I do remember that as a kid. And like, oh yeah, He wants to show you when that came in, but then also you can ask him, so what do you say about it? Because here's this lie, but what do you say? And then he'll speak it to you. And it works. Like, this happens. You can just do it quickly. It gives some time, space to do it, but God always answers, and he always shows you. But yet you do kind of have to, like, pray through things and figure out, like, what is going on in me? I don't know. Like, why am I so freaky in this area? And maybe ask some friends, you know, have them pray for you. But I guarantee there is something more going on that God wants to speak to. That's good. Okay. Maybe if, if there's one more, we'll do one more question. Taylor. Like, if there's no peace, if peace hasn't been yeah. agreed upon. Like, when do you stop pursuing that person or trying to make it right? Yeah, that's a good question. I think, um, you know, God could tell you. God can show you. Sometimes there can be, like, a sense of release, like he's released it yeah. from your you know, from you, yeah, your responsibility, and there's, like, an inner peace, like, okay, I can, like, stand in grace and peace, because God has released me from this, and, but there might be that sense in your heart, and keep pursuing, like, God pursues people, but you have to kind of figure it out, is that striving, is that God, it's, you just, I mean, it's not really, it's an answer, but you just have to pray. And I, I, I know the Holy Spirit will help you. And it can be a little like trying to figure things out. And I don't know if this is God, but then I think you'll see it. He'll show it to you and you'll be able to discern when it's time to just 
rest and let God deal with it. Good answer. Um, I, maybe I'll just close with this last scripture. I think that kind of speaks to that question Taylor brought up. Um, Matthew 5, 21. This kind of sums things up too. You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Sometimes when you're in conflict, you feel like murdering. But I tell you that anyone who's angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, which was a, a slam, an Aramaic slam, term of contempt, is answerable to the court. Anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. So what I get from this is Jesus is saying, hey, it's not just don't murder, but if you have hatred, contempt, angry words in your life towards someone else, that's really serious. And so you need to treat that condition of your heart seriously. So my question, my answer to you, Taylor, would be make sure that you're in a good place. Make sure that you have resolved, that you've forgiven the person about whatever, whatever the situation is. And then it goes on and says, therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. And so, and we talk about this sometimes, but that's saying, no matter what you're doing or the most spiritual thing you're doing, you remember there's an unresolved issue with somebody. And, this, and it's actually that they have something against you. It's not that you may not have anything against them, but you remember they have something against you. It's important enough that you go reach out to them and seek to resolve the issue. And I was just thinking about that, like, why is it so important? Well, it said before that if you're in that place of unforgiveness, you're in danger of the fire of hell. So if you love somebody and you see that they've got that going on in their life, then you should really want to try to help them get in a better place. Because the consequences of that, those unresolved issues, are huge. And then it goes on and says, settle matters quickly with your adversary who's taking you to court. So the person who's got something against you and it's gotten so bad that they're taking you, they're taking legal action. Do it while you're still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. I have never, this is an interesting verse. Jesus says, someone's brought something against you, they're on the way to court. Settle it with them first. And why wouldn't you settle it with them first? Well, probably because you think you're right. And the judge is going to, the verdict is going to be on your behalf. And you're going to be okay. And they're going to they're be the one that has to pay the fine or be in prison. But this is saying, hey, you may be wrong, but you don't know it. You're, you got this issue going on, and in your mind, you're completely in the right. And you're okay going to court. But you better listen to what they're bringing to you because there's a very good chance that what they, what they are dealing with is something in your life that you're blind to. And so that, you know, it's, again, it's going so much looking at our own life and saying, God, what are you saying to me? Let me get what you want from me and change those attitudes, and then I can help somebody else with what's going on with them. So there's a lot of food for thought today. I know this is, this is deep stuff. It's going to be fun seeing you walk this out. Uh, in your, your handout, there are a few chapters in Matthew that are good to mull on your bonus reading this week. I encourage you to, to meditate on, ponder on those this week and, and practice those. 
Um, Jenny's going to close us out, but Reagan, can you just pray for us one more time and ask God to help us? God, we know there are areas that have been brought up, relationships and things in our heart, and we ask for your help, Holy Spirit, for wisdom, for understanding, and um, we trust for your word to speak truth and to bring freedom and to bring um, next steps. We bless everyone here in Jesus' name, a blessing of, um, of knowing that they are accepted and righteous through the blood of Jesus, and from that place we can move forward. Amen.